Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, fellow gamers, and welcome to the Multiplayer Gaming Podcast, where three dads who are lifelong gamers talk about video games. Since today is Thursday, we are going to be breaking down recent gaming news over the last seven days. Please make sure to follow our podcast so you don't miss any episodes, and make sure to rate our show five stars and leave a written review. Also, if you like what we do here and want bonus content, you can help support our show through Patreon at MultiplayerSquad.com. Support starts at 5 bucks a month, and if you sign up, you'll get a shout-out on the show, and you will also get our Squadcast episodes, which release twice a month. I am your host, Paul, and joining me, he's a little worried because he YOLO'd his life savings into Ubisoft stock, and things aren't looking so good. It's Josh. Guys, guys, they've got some <laughs> releases coming up, okay? We're going to have the blockbuster Skull and Bones, which is going to put me right back in the black. It's going to make a billion dollars. You know? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. And joining us, he's doing his best to snipe on the battlefield, but he's not too happy about his paid Medusa skin. It's Michael. Wait, I'm super quiet. Guys, I'm hunting wabbits. <laughs> I'm hunting wabbits. They won't see me or hear me. Oh, at least that's what you think. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> All right. So those are some teasers for what we're going to talk about here. Uh, so whenever we do these This Week in Gaming episodes, we just break down news that we thought was most exciting, things that we want to spend some time talking about. And the first news story we're going to cover today, there's a lot of elements of this, but it's all things Ubisoft. And spoiler alert, none of it's going to be good. Oh, so uh, Ubisoft, I think we're all a little... Uh, flabbergasted at, at some things that are going on over there. But basically, we got multiple news stories this week. We learned that Ubisoft has canceled three unannounced games because of the underperformance of Mario and Rabbids Sparks of Hope and Just Dance 2023. Uh, those games did not sell well, so they've canceled some projects. And what's probably most relevant to our show is that they delayed Skull and Bones yet again. No! Do you guys know... How many times it's been delayed now? Six. Like, yeah. Six. Six. Six delays. Not two, not three, not four, not five. Now, this isn't six delays like, hey, we're making a game. Oh, the game's not quite ready yet. This is six delays as in like, we had a release date. Yeah. Yeah. 
And then we said, no, we're going to push it back. And then we set another release date. And then it got pushed back six times, guys. You know, it's pretty rare that we have to count anything in the gaming industry using two hands. And so, like, I don't even know where to go with this. Like, we went past five. They could be 12 now. And I have no idea how to count that high in gaming. Like, this is, <laughs> I, this is my mind is blown. Like, actual release dates, it's coming. And we've come pretty close to a couple of those release dates, too. That's the scariest part is they were like, hey, you know... We're like a month out and we're going to release this game and then it's been delayed six months after that date, you know? So it's, it's, how did they even think they were close to a finished game? They must be really having problems with this title. Well, this is what's so funny is because on this show, we have even said it's okay for games to get delayed. Just give us a good final product. But when you're delaying the game six times, I don't yeah. think that speaks very well to the game's prospects. We've got major issues. We were able to sniff that out a while ago. All the video footage, we could kind of tell this is not a finished game. There are major issues. Six delays now. Do you guys have any confidence, no matter how long they delay it, is this a project that can be saved? No. No, and, I- and I'll tell you why at this point. Because if you watched... So on the on the announcement of this six delay for Skull and Bones... They're trying to maintain some kind of hype, like anything to keep people from completely writing this off. And so what they did is they did another one of their 30-minute demos where they talked about one of the new systems that they they put into Skull and Bones. You know, how we're making this game better. We we hear your feedback, gamers, and we hear that you're not liking it. And so we're going to make it better for you. The problem is they're not making it any better (laughs) like they think that they're adding stuff and you just watch this and you go dude that's terrible i don't want that you know what i mean and 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 so the biggest problem is in this latest round what they did is they showed you like laying siege to like a little port city right and and i I forget what the term for it was but so they have you and another buddy and you're steering your ships in this little circle and you're firing cannons at this little village and At the top is just a timer that very slowly ticks as you sit there and sail your boat in a circle and lob these cannonballs at this, at this little village until you get a piece of information. You get a clue, guys, a clue to the story because of all things for them to show off that's new, they added, they tried to add a storyline and like to this game. No, it's just written. All the story is, is like a, a, a page that pops up on the screen with a writing that tries to tell you about some captain long ago, and maybe he got in a fight with somebody, so you should sail to this island and go check out that. It's the most boring, worthless thing I, see, I think I've seen, and this is the problem is they keep adding things, but they're adding the wrong things. I, it feels like what's happening is when they say air quotes, they're listening to gamers, we hear you. You know, gamers have said, like, the game looks like it has no progression. There's no story. There's nothing like that. You're basically just fighting on ships. And so what the team there is doing, I can picture them in a room like, what's the easiest and cheapest way we can add something that resembles a story? Ah, let's add a timer, use the same ship mechanics, and then if you sail around in circles long enough, a story piece pops up as text on the screen. We got this. Okay. Um, you asked, Paul, if I had any confidence that this game would be good. Honestly, at this point... I barely have any confidence we're ever going to even get to play this game because I think it I I'm I won't be shocked if it just gets canceled. Like this is a train wreck. <laughs> it's a train wreck. And they still have to spend millions of dollars to market this game even further for the release. And you know, I I don't know if they're going to be willing to even put that money towards it. I think it might just be a like for lack of a better term, pun intended, a flaming ship 
that just might have to go down. It's so crazy to have sank so much money into this project. I mean, they've been working on it for so long. I can't imagine the overall cost. I'm sure at this point, they, it, I, I think in their mindset, they're thinking we can still fix this and it's going to be a big hit. Yeah. And I think at some point you just got to say, look, we've already lost a ton of money. We just got to recoup what we can. Just get it out there. I don't see this game being anything other than DOA. Maybe a few people are going to like it. I'm still just so shocked because Assassin's Creed Black Flag gave you like some really good bones for how to make a game where you could run around, explore the world on foot, get into a boat, and go have some awesome naval combat. Like they've done it before. I don't know how they could just go so awry. But I mean, things are so bad at Ubisoft that after all these announcements, their stock has absolutely tanked. They've lowered their net bookings targets for the next quarter. We're not even sure when this game is going to come out specifically. We're looking at probably sometime between April and December, but we don't really know for sure. So just talking about Ubisoft at large, not just Skull and Bones, but also looking at their other products like Far Cry, Assassin's Creed... If you had a bunch of money lying around, is Ubisoft a company that you would have any interest in investing in? Nope. Not a, not a single one. There's been no innovation. This is the problem. They're so blinded by being they're not game developers anymore. Like honestly, that's like that's how I feel about Ubisoft. I get that they're making games, but they're not game developers at this point because all they did was find a formula that worked. And when they worked in the beginning, they worked great. Nobody is trying to slander the Far Cry franchise or the Assassin's Creed franchise or any of that, because those games were great back in the day. The problem is, is that they just went, we don't have to, we don't have to have any kind of innovation or anything like that. All we have to do is develop these games and you can literally see how lost they are now with Skull and Bones. That's Mm -hmm. why we keep picking on this game because they, they can't even see the forest through the trees at this point. Right. And, and they're so disillusioned with things that I, I want to read this little thing because it, this kind of gives you an example. So in this article, it says in a press release today, Ubisoft outlined a new strategy for the remainder of its fiscal year, as well as lowered expectations for the last fiscal quarter. Ubisoft explains the move as a result of the company facing major challenges as an, as the industry continues to shift towards mega brands and long lasting titles that can reach players across the globe. If Assassin's Creed and Far Cry are not mega brands, then right. what is? They're blaming they're they're literally saying, "Hey, things are shifting towards the mega brand and we need to shift with that." And it's like, "No, things are shifting away from the mega brands. Right? Look at the rise <laughs> of indie developers because they're making fun games. They're not just corporate entities that are trying to churn out something." And the more they try to fix Skull and Bones, the more we see how blinded they really are because they keep adding stuff to it and it's adding nothing that gamers actually want to this game. I th- it's almost like Ubisoft feels like a victim of their own success as far as exactly what you just said. Assassin's Creed sells so many copies and there's been no major changes. You play the first one, you play the most recent one. Yes, there are changes, but overall, the recipe's very sim- similar. You know, it is a chocolate chip cookie. We're just adding a different kind of chocolate chip and maybe using a little more brown sugar and cinnamon. You know what I mean? Like, there's some mixes there. But here's the thing. 
Ubisoft has a a ton of money right now tied up in future projects. I mean, look at what they've got coming out just from AAA titles alone, right? Unannounced dates coming out, right? Avatar uh, Frontiers of Pandora, Prince of Persia Sands of Time remake. You've got the Division Heartland, Division Resurgence. Division's a big one. Assassin's Creed alone, Mirage, Infinity, Codename Red, Hex, Jade, Invictus. Huge games that are all being developed right now. That's a lot of money being spent I almost feel like they just need to freaking get one of these out, you know, like get one out, get yourself back in a decent shape and then keep working on them. But I mean, the Ubisoft state of affairs right now, when it comes to investing, like if you're asking Paul, like, would you want to invest? Like, maybe if we're close to a concretely release date on one of these Assassin's Creed games, but they're all really far out. They've got some real problems. They've got nothing coming up soon that's going to make them a dime because obviously, you know, Skull and Bones is going to be DOA, just like Josh was just saying. It's not going to be. This game is done. And what do they have coming up next? I mean, Avatar, do movie movie games really even sell that well, typically? I'd have to look at some numbers. I mean, Spider-Man, sure, but this this company has a lot of negative equity. They're They're in really bad shape. Yeah, I, I I do think the lack of innovation is one of the worst things, and also just the fact that they've decided to go with quantity over quality. You know, you look at GTA games or Red Dead, and these games are now eight plus years apart, right? Because they put in the time to develop them, and of course, people get mad at Rockstar and say, hey, you've poured all this time into GTA Online, we want to get the next game. I understand, but if you want to make especially open-world games like in the way Assassin's Creed had gone... They're just releasing too many games too soon. It, they're not far apart that it feels special. They just keep pumping them out. They seem to be totally tone deaf with like the Far Cry 6 Game of the Year edition for 150 bucks or whatever. Hey, wow. And they didn't even win any Game of the Year awards, right? Like they seem to be living almost in this fantasy world of what they think gamers want. And in reality, they just haven't innovated in this sphere in a very long time. Well, uh, Far Cry it, 6 was Ubisoft's game of the year because it was sure. the game they released that year. <laughs> yeah, it was it was their best. Uh, so, yeah. And then the last part of the story that really made me chuckle is that the CEO of Ubisoft has addressed some of these things like the tanking stock prices and all that. And he sent an email out to Ubisoft staff. And I'm just going to go ahead and read a direct quote here because... It's just a little bit mystifying if you ask me. The ball is in your court to deliver this lineup on time and at the expected level of quality. And he also said that he needs his staff's, quote, full energy and commitment to get back on the path of success. So do you kind of feel like that's fair to kind of put the onus on the lower staff to right the ship? Of course it's fair when you're the CEO and you (laughs) can't take responsibility for how terrible your company is becoming. Like, no, you know, all these developers and everything, man, they're doing what they're doing at the direction of somebody. There is somebody that's saying, hey, these are the systems that we want in these games or, Hey, we're cranking out Far Cry six, you know, um, just copy everything from Far Cry five. It's okay. Just we'll, we'll reuse those assets. UI. Yep. Nope. We can keep the UI. Yeah. Climb a tower. No, let's make the tower a windmill this time, guys. But you, you know, so let's do that. <laughs> but otherwise ship it. Just, just ship it. Yeah. You know, and, and it's like, this is not the individual developers fault. This is not the employees fault. This is, this comes from a directive level, man. Yeah, you ever talk to someone in a work environment and you can just tell they're not paying attention to you at all? Yeah. I here's what I picture. Wait, I, I'm sorry, I, Michael. What were you saying? <laughs> <laughs> 
I picture the CEO, and I don't, I don't know what the guy looks like. This isn't a personal attack on him, but I, I picture someone just like sitting at a desk, like typing furiously on a computer, reading email, picking up their phone, laughing hysterically at some funny meme that gets posted. He's eating a tuna sandwich or something. Some of it's getting on his shirt. He's still wearing like a full suit and tie when the rest of his staff is wearing like t-shirts and jeans and stuff. Completely separated from them. Listens to one part of the conversation when his, you know, director of sales strategy is like, hey, we got some problems. And he's just looking over. He's like, oh, figure it out. That's your job. Figure it out. You guys, yeah, you do this. Like, just the guy has, like, apparently has no idea what's happening in this company. Yeah, I feel like the biggest issue with Ubisoft right now isn't anything in regards to execution. Like, yeah, the game delays are probably bad for their bottom line. You know, you pump out more games, you make more money generally. Um, but to, like, almost put the blame on the graphic designers and artists and coders and engineers to write the ship, I don't know. I, I don't. I don't think that's where... The responsibility lies. It really seems like the creative direction overall right. is the problem. Yeah. All right. Well, we're going to take a short break here and we'll be right back with more multiplayer gaming podcast. If you're an athlete, you know, the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. All right, the next story here is about a small developer team called Flat 28. Uh, it's a group of designers that I had not never heard of before, but they announced a project that I saw on Reddit that I thought was kind of interesting. They are designing a game called Glass House, and they describe it as a thrilling CRPG in which a handful of survivors are forced to live together in an apartment building during a nuclear winter. Master your oratory skills in challenging relationships while exploring the building in which you're locked in. Sacrifice your belongings and craft whatever it takes to survive the winter ahead. They also promise things like political intrigue, multiple choices and consequences, investigating murders, quick time events, crafting, and puzzles. And they said that they're kind of coining the phrase survival CRPG to describe the project. Does that sound like something that would normally be up your guy's alley? I mean, when you combine all of those phrases, like, yeah, man. <laughs> those are all good words, right? <laughs> it's like, yeah, that's, I like that. I like that. And I like that. So this game's going to be great, right? It's a lot of good um, words. I'm happy. <laughs> yeah. What's cool is they actually have a playable demo. Um, they, they labeled it as a pre-alpha. You can just hop on their Discord server. It's like it's in the announcements. So I picked it up and I installed it. It only took a minute and played it for probably about 15 minutes or so um, earlier today before we we got to recording there are and they've come out and said there are definite 
um, Disco Elysium vibes to this game. The art style Absolutely. kind of has a lot of similarity. And they've just come out and said, yes, that's one of our inspirations. They said, you know, we want this to be a CRPG, which stands for computer role-playing games, which generally tend to be a little bit more in-depth and a little bit more old school than some of the newer RPGs and stuff like that. And there was one other game, I think they called it Pathologic, that they said it had some DNA from. Um. I will say this, you know, for what they're calling a pre-alpha, it, you know, it it works so far. It starts you off in this apartment. There's other people in there and you can kind of search through boxes and you have a very tiny inventory and stuff like that. It obviously has a long way to go, in my opinion. But in my 15 minute playtime, I saw a lot that I really liked so far. Um, and so that gives me hope. The one thing, because I know they're listening to this podcast, I will say <laughs> is... Well, two things, really. Number one, I'm not sure what language or dialect the game is meant to be in. It's, it's, obviously, it's obviously from another country or this made-up country or something like that. But a lot of the dialect and narr- narration, uh, because it's all text-based in that regard threw me off. I had no idea what the heck they were talking about. I was like, I don't get this. Is this like, is this English? Is it Irish? Is it a mixture of both? Like, I don't understand a lot of what the people are saying. Um, the other thing would be you can they're, fix they're all that. Speaking like, from- yeah, like honestly, I, I don't know. Um, the, you can fix that by please having voiceover on this game, man. Have the dialect in the narration be read aloud. Because now I never played Disco Elysium before it was it had full voiceover. And in playing this game, and I know this is a minor criticism, but it bothers me a lot, is it's a lot of reading, man. Like a lot. And if it was narrated, I think I would enjoy it hands down like I enjoyed Disco Elysium. But it makes me realize that if I had to read all of Disco Elysium, I'm not sure that game would have hit me the same way. Yeah, there was certainly a huge change in Disco Elysium when they added in the voice. And I, again, like, it's, it's crazy to hear, to think about, you know, past Michael, like playing Disco Elysium before they had the voiceover on there, you know, the actor's dialogue and so forth. Would I have really put the time in to read all that? Because you have to read a lot in that game, and it sounds like this is very similar. So my one of my concerns about this game is is it does, you know, you look at it, it looks very similar to Disco Elysium, um, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. Like, they, they've acknowledged the inspiration. They said, we love this game. We'd like to see something more like this. I'm just really afraid that too many people are going to directly compare this to Disco Elysium, and it's not going to be as successful as it could be because they're going to be like, we hold it to this high standard. Because you look at what made Disco great, right? right? Great dynamic between two characters, insane dialogue inside of your mind, a great mystery. You had a really fleshed out, fictitious universe in a tiny space with Revishaw, but you knew the whole world just from the little bit of game, you know, some incredible dry comedy. Uh, plus, it was a true <laughs> RPG. Like, if if these elements aren't present, are people just going to kind of dismiss it when really, I mean, it sounds like it's a pretty small indie publisher. They might have a really good game here that just doesn't deserve to be compared directly to Disco Elysium, one of the greatest games of all time. Yeah, I mean, the odds of it being just as good as Disco is is darn close to zero. But even if it is a poor ripoff, I feel like this is the first poor ripoff of disco that i've seen i mean it literally is set up with the exact same format where you get on the right side the portraits of who's talking and the list of all the dialogue you have multiple 
dialogue decisions, which then go down different branches. But I love the idea of them kind of copying some of the things that worked so well with disco. You know, this does take place in the year 2028, but it is a fictional setting. But I love the idea that it is a little more contained. It's not so big that you're exploring the whole world. You're inside just one apartment building, but everyone is talking about the events outside of the world. So you get that sense of the culture that they've written and the attitudes and the politics of the world and surviving this nuclear fallout with all these people shoved in a tiny space. And then when murders happen and you have to start investigating, all that really speaks to me. But I will say there were a lot of aspects that were so confusing. But to be fair, the first time I played Disco, guess what I felt for the first hour? Uh, Confused out of my mind until everything clicks And this game, I felt exactly the same way. I'm like, these names don't really make any sense to me. They're using phrases and words I don't totally get. And I'm trying to piece together what's happening, but it's kind of difficult. So that's not necessarily a bad thing. um, But uh, hopefully it'll all make sense when we get the final product. I mean, is the developer from like a specific part of a specific country that has... Are they talking in their own dialect? I'm trying to figure this out right now. I can't find anything on it. Yeah, they're so small that if you try to search flat 28, you're just going to get other results. The best I could tell is it's a couple of younger developers, and they also said it's like an open association with other people. Mm. So it almost kind of sounded like if you want to come collaborate, they'll kind of work with anyone. So I think it's just like a loose group of people working on it together. Well, flat is another word for apartment in (laughs) Great Britain. So maybe they're in apartment 28. And because it's flat, we know there's somewhere like in the British Isles. And maybe we can just narrow down this this dialect if we just look at all the hundreds of diverse dialects of never mind, we're going nowhere with this. (laughs) There's there's too many dialects in, in Great Britain. Never mind. Yeah, so if you want to go check this one out, again, it's called Glass House, and they've made a few posts on Reddit that all have the link to their Discord. So yeah, you can go check it out. You can just download their zip file from their Google Drive and play the current build, which is pretty neat. So I'm really interested in this one. I'll definitely keep watching, and I I almost hope we get this new survival CRPG. I want to see more games like that. I'm all for it. All right, and then our final story of the week involves Overwatch 2. There is a current event going on called Battle for Olympus, where you can unlock different Greek mythology skins, which I think is kind of a neat idea, although overall people haven't been terribly happy by this event. But Widow players in particular uh, are a little bit upset because Widow has a Medusa skin. It can only be purchased with real-life money. Uh, Josh, do you want to tell the people why Widow players aren't too happy about this skin? (laughs) Um, well, you see, (laughs) number one, I love Greek mythology and these skins, in my opinion, even though I don't care about cosmetics a whole lot, I think these skins look great. And I could just be that I'm a fan of the subject material, but the issue with this is, is that, so they made the widow skin Medusa and everybody knows that Medusa is set apart by the snakes that are on her head that kind of are supposed to be like your hair. And, you know, if you look at a Medusa, you get turned to stone. The problem is that in their desire to have this skin be worth purchasing for real life money, they also gave the snakes sound effects. And so you (laughs) can hear them slithering and doing snaky type snake sounds and stuff like that. But the problem is, is that they made that so prevalent 
that number one, other people can hear you. They can hear your snakes slithering and hissing. Uh, so you can't hide as widow, which is important <laughs> as widow. And number two, they're so loud on your screen because you paid money for this skin. So you better get use out of it. Right. right. And so you hear your own snakes more so than you hear enemy footsteps and other important sounds in the game. Which, yeah. if anybody who's played Overwatch knows, audio cues are one of the more important things to be aware of in right? this game. So they've really just kind of botched this. And what's happening is the people that were willing to spend money on this skin are now going, this skin sucks. This is pay to lose. That's what they're calling <laughs> yeah. it. Pay to lose. I love it. I I think the skin looks great, first of all. Like, it does look really nice, but I could see how that'd be a real problem. Like, it's, it's like Josh mentioned, audio cues are most important. That's probably why I'm terrible at Overwatch is because I, I don't, I don't pay attention to it as much as I probably should when I, you know, I hear someone to the left or right. I'm like that way. Um, but yeah, if you're being drowned out by the tie, uh, the sound of snakes on your head. Like you, you can't hear anything else in the game. You're probably gonna have a problem. I don't know what they do. I mean, I, there's. It sounds like they. I. I would think there's easy ways to fix this. You just, you know, change the 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 volume a little bit on the snakes and just make it so other people can't hear it. There's got to be some toggle you can do in coding of just like no, other people can't hear this. But I don't know. So this is an interesting thing. Or they don't address it at all, and people just paid money and they're just out because the Blizzard <laughs> machine cannot be stopped. So that's what it is. Yeah, I feel like in a way, this is kind of like a microcosm of how everything's going with Overwatch 2. I know some people are really enjoying it still, and a ton of people are playing it. But for me, when I just hear this story, it's like, yeah, they forgot about the baseline of what it means to play Widow. Like, what mm. what is it? It's about hiding and being a sniper and fighting at long distance. And here, they're focused on adding the wrong features, and it's a paid feature. They're forgetting about what matters most focusing on the wrong things. Um, for me, I, I was telling Josh just yesterday, when I hear the word Overwatch, my immediate reaction is, oh, I love that game. Like, it still, like, clicks in my brain where automatically it, like, generates joy because of all the years I love Overwatch. But when I hop into games, after one or two matches, I'm like, what am I doing? Why am I still playing this game? I... I'm not really loving with where it's at. It's not very fun, especially as support. Sure, if you get the right map, I'll play Lucio, and that's as good as it can get as support. But especially if you're playing Moira or Mercy or Ana, it kind of sucks playing right now because most of the time you don't have a tank with a shield, and you have so many enemy Widows and Genjis and Tracers, it's almost impossible to play the slower support classes I don't know. I'm I'm kind of all out on Overwatch 2 at this point and it just kind of seems to be a mess in my opinion. I'm as much as it pains me I'm with you on this one Paul because I don't maybe it's that we are old school Overwatch players. I mean, we were playing Overwatch 1 from the the day of release. I mean, everybody in our friend group was super hyped for that. And you know, we've put in our thousands of hours in Overwatch and maybe Overwatch 2 just isn't enough of a change to get us excited again, even though I know we were pretty excited about it. But I feel like this is the danger or the caveat to going free to play is now they have to focus on ways to make money versus focusing on ways to make the game better. 
And we see this with how long it takes to get a new character, right? What's the what's the new tank's name again? Uh, Ramatra. Ramatra. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, uh, you got to get to Battle Pass level 55. That is dozens and dozens and dozens of hours of playtime. You know, this Widow skin, you can't get this skin unless you want to buy it. It's a good looking skin. I like it, but I'd never pay money for it. And I think what we're seeing is if you are new to Overwatch and this is your first time and you were able to take advantage of the free-to-play nature and you finally went, hey, I can play Overwatch, I think people are really enjoying it. But I think for a lot of the old school people, it just didn't... It's almost the death of Overwatch for me. You know what I mean? And as much as I hate to say that because I really liked the the refresher that Overwatch 2 brought, now that's gone and I'm just kind of seeing more of the live service practices and I'm going, I don't... I don't like where this is going. Can we just go back to Overwatch 1? We have to go back! Can we just do that? Like, it was No, fine. because they took it away from us, Michael! <laughs> but, but it was fine. <laughs> we were having fun. And now it's just pay to stuff. Pay to, not pay yeah. to win. It's just buy stuff. Buy stuff from our game. Yeah, I, I will say in the past on this show, I've said that I don't mind pay to win. Or pay to win. I don't mind free games, free to play that do focus on selling cosmetics because then it's available for more players and a smaller number of people are the whales that pay for the game, essentially. But I will agree that it it does become a problem when the focus becomes how to monetize the game as opposed to how to just sell a finished product. And that little bit of a different philosophy, I think, has kind of killed this game for a lot of people. Uh, apparently, the three of us included. Yeah, the problem is Blizzard is really good at monetizing their games now. Diablo Immortal, Overwatch. Like, we're going to see more of this, not less of this. And if Overwatch 2, nobody's playing it in a year, doesn't really matter. The next big thing's coming, and it's going to make them billions anyways. Yeah, when you can make more money making a game like Candy Crush than a game like Diablo 4, yeah. more developers go that way because yep. it's easier to just, you know, make money through those microtransactions. All right. Well, that wraps up everything for our show today. We do want to say thank you so much to all of you out there for listening to the entire episode. As a reminder, you can come sign up on Patreon for those bonus episodes at MultiplayerSquad.com. And you should also come toss us a follow on socials everywhere at MultiplayerPod. I think that's it for now. So please make sure to come back and check out our quick take on Saturday. And then on Monday, we will be back with a deep dive of Dungeon Defenders. Dungeon and Defenders! <laughs> I don't know Until where that came next from. time, happy gaming. See you guys. All right. See you, everybody. Everybody.